What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with Skip Hill, IFBB Pro, Andrew Berry, and we are joined again by IFBB Pro, Nate Spear. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings on high-quality third-party tested supplements that all of us love. All of us have trusted True Nutrition. We've known True Nutrition long before YouTube was even a thing. And now we're here to share True Nutrition with you. We're also brought to you by SupplementSource.ca. Uh, they have uh, free shipping on $49 uh, orders at this point. So you can basically get free shipping if you buy like a couple things. Uh, and we're brought to you by you guys, the guys at Patreon. We appreciate you guys very much. Guys, we have, we have some fun topics today. I have one to start us out, which is going to be like, a, it's going to be like our YouTube grabber comment. Or, or excuse me, topic, uh, which is going to be training the off season because we did get a question from one of our Patreon people about that. And then we're going to get into the driver of growth. What drives growth? Is it training? Is it nutrition? Or is it trend? We'll find out tonight <laughs> on the program. Uh, but to start us out, uh, trending the off season, the, the question was basically, if I can find this here, Here's what it looked like. I can take a little screen cap and send it over. Um, like I said, this is from Patreon. Um, what are your thoughts on Trend Ace in the off season? Uh, something low, like 100 milligrams per week, for someone who gets fluffy really easily. Appreciate all that you guys do. Anybody's welcome to jump in on this one. I feel like we all probably have a few thoughts here and there. And let me take a poll first. Uh, is there anybody on our panel tonight that has not at least once tried trend in the off season? That's what I thought. <laughs> I'll go first. What's up, uh, mate? I actually, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of actually like trend in the off season, which a lot of people won't admit to openly, but I think it depends on the person. First of all, because this is why our coming, uh, working with a coach, for a long period really comes into play because we'll know what response we get from certain drugs. So, you know, some guys might, you know, run EQ and you know what I mean? Their labs might go off the charts. I've seen it happen a lot. Um, for myself personally, <clears throat> I can sort of get away with running a little bit of trend and my bloods are sort of not really going off the rails. Um, I really like it personally. Um, so like, let's say you're pushing real hard. I would never use it as a crutch. Like this guy was saying, as far as like, Oh, I got fluffy. So I'm going to throw this in yeah. there. I would never do that with the drug. But I will say, you know, when you're pushing in the off season, you know, uh, food gets really high. You, you might get a little sloppy. Uh, it's a good composition tool, I think, you know, with the nutrient partitioning. Um, it really sort of I throw that in there and things sort of clean up. I get full around her. I would do that for a short period, like six weeks. So I would do a normal cycle and then throw like trend in the end, clean up and then go into like a health phase. You know what I mean? And uh, I really like I really like that. Um, and on, honestly, too, it's going to help you at the end of a cycle, too, because those you might hit like a strength plateau, yes. you know, you throw that in there and you sort of, you know, start breaking through your numbers. Um, obviously it becomes a thing where <laughs> it can be easy to say, oh, I'll just do it uh, maybe a couple more times or, you know, you can sort of wear out your welcome per se. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, is it important in your opinion, uh, the ester, like, do you want to use trend ACE for that? Or do you ever think like trend E would be uh, well, just I, as good? I always use ACE personally, just because I've never really heard much great feedback on the E um, and ACE is obviously much more potent, um, which I don't know. I, I hear a lot of guys, I haven't really given much chance myself, but a lot of guys run more side effects with the E. Yes, it seems like. I've seen um, that. So 
as far as my feedback from other people, if someone comes to me and they're like, oh man, I really like the response, you know, that I get from E, you know, can we go that route? And I'll, I'll believe their feedback and we'll sort of give that a try. Yeah, sure. But nine times out of 10, I'm going to steer them towards the ACE. I just feel like it's a, you know, overall better response and, you know, f- feedback from a lot of people that I've talked to. So let, let me just add in too, just to kind of back you up on this. I, I, cause I, you know, we've, we put the show out on, audio we put it out on video and i i want people specifically on youtube people who may not be running in <clears throat> high level competitive you know circles to understand when you say people you've talked to you're talking about yeah. this is this is high level competition this isn't just like you know on paper what somebody on youtube says about trend and and i th- i just think it's important because a lot of the perspective that we share on this program is coming from that real world this is what people are doing at shows guys who are getting on stage with people like nick walker like you know nate spear guys who are competing at the high national level and competing at the pro level so you're saying you feel like you don't see a lot of trend e at at that high level compared to trend a's yeah correct and to go back a little bit like i so i do i'm sort of in the like live competitive realm right now obviously you know, I'm at like sort of the peak of my career. So anytime I sort of, you know, talk about it nine times out of 10, it's going to be sort of that competitive bodybuilder realm. Right. So I will say like, if I had a lifestyle client, I would not ever, you know, throw some trainees in there to clean up their stuff because nine times out of 10, they're not ready for that. You know what I mean? And it's not really worth it. You know what I mean? I'd rather just do like a little mini cut or something like that, clean it up. And um, yeah, it's definitely something I, like you said, something I would, you know, more or less steer towards like that. What I just said would be more towards like competitive bodybuilder um, in the off season. Yeah. Cool. Which means that every person listening who's not competitive just went, yeah, it's like DC training. Oh yeah. I can't do it. Well, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> if Nate's doing it, I am now I'm making a, making a note. I'm going to put trainees in you know, it's uh, with the long ester. You know, it's funny because I ran. Uh, I'm not a fan at all of Trend Hex or Trend. Um, and you know what? Anybody who says Trend X is the same as Parabolin is full of shit. <laughs> because yeah. you apparently have never used real Parabolin. I'm probably dating myself with that, but nonetheless, it's just not the same. And I, I ended up just completely in. The, I was pissed a couple of years ago. <laughs> everything was going really well, and I conditions come along, and I started having. And I don't even know if it was related, but I had thought I just don't respond very well to the the longer trend esters and i was having cramp have you guys ever had cramping issues with trend or with the longer ester i've never had it with acetate and i don't know that it had that it was directly related but when i cut it it all fucking went away mm-hmm. and i was having bad cramping and it had nothing to do with clan if anybody's thinking that yeah i was gonna say i couldn't tell because like i'd probably be on clan at the end of a prep yeah, and cramping exactly. anyway, you know uh, but I didn't know um, if you guys had any problems with that. But once I dumped it, I never had any problems again. And I'm a short ester, you know, kind of guy anyway. I much prefer shorter esters, even in the off season when I don't want to get off on a tangent on tests and everything else. But the ester thing I think is important because I'd, I'd rather run my tests, and you guys, a lot of you guys know this, the listeners know this, in a 50-50 ratio with long versus and long and short, even in the off season. I just think from a health standpoint to not hold as much water. That's why I'm not a big fan of DECA. 
Uh, and, you know, people will say, well, NPP isn't much shorter, but it is shorter. So as an example, people tend to respond better to NPP than they do DECA. Other people, they don't care about piling the weight on. They want the strength. They're young. You know, their blood pressure being up a little bit while they're on cycle, they don't really care about. But the people that I deal with and the demographic that I work with, it becomes more important because they're older and that health component is is usually far more important. I think it's great that the large majority of people are more focused on their health, but the older demographic older demographic is far more concerned about their health for no other reason than, you know, we're starting to drop like flies recently. Well, I think every year you get older, you start to real a little bit realize a little bit more that you're not as invincible as you thought you were. Mm-hmm. And that reality that, you know, something bad could happen yeah. becomes more of reality. So, but I, I really got nothing to add to what either of the guy said. The only thing I do want to point out was that I think the guy had written something about he gets a little soft in the off season. And I would just touch on that and reaffirm what Nate said about not using a drug in that sense to, to hide or counteract the effect of maybe poor nutritional programming. Like, and that, it sounds like in that case, he wants to look a little tighter. He wants to look a little vainier. He wants to look like he's on something yeah. in that case. Like, you know, and I think a lot of people are afraid to do this in the off season, pull your calories back. Like you yeah, can absolutely yeah. pull your calories back. That's a okay. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you're still probably going to be in somewhat of a surplus unless you really, really pull your calories back. Mm-hmm. I just want people to realize that, you know, off season isn't just like calories go mm-hmm. like this, like calories from 99% of people in a good situation will go like, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Like, you know what I mean? There's going to be some peaks and valleys on the way up. So yeah. that's the only point I wanted to reaffirm. Yeah, it's not a straight line for sure. All right. <clears throat> In that case, let's move on to our, our our big philosophical topic of the day. And then we've got some listener questions, by the way. Anybody who's watching live, you guys are welcome to comment with your questions. And anybody who's watching on YouTube, I encourage you guys, comment with your questions. We'll tackle them on the next show. Um the driver of growth. It's interesting that, Skip, you brought this up in a text conversation. Uh, it's something that Dave Crossland and I talked about just a couple of weeks ago. In in his perspective, it's different than yours since I know a little bit. I have a little insight on, cool. on what you have to say. And my perspective might be a little bit different than both of yours. So I, I could see this going in a lot of different directions. You know, What is the main, the main driver, the main facilitator? What's the main trigger to, to make growth happen? I guess, or what's the most important factor? Well, let me just preface this question though, with the client who asked me this, and we had a pretty good back and forth on it. Um, you know, in my client forum, I'm not in any way singling him out uh, or think that it was a bad, cause it's actually a good question enough. So that I thought that, it, you know, the listeners may want a little bit of insight uh, because, he, and, and I think it's, it's a, it's a good, um, uh, note, I guess, that you make that we're all going to have a little, maybe a slightly different uh, perspective on it. Uh, but ultimately, the question, I think a lot of people, and I don't know, but I would think that a lot of people would say, you know, things like intensity, and they might even say nutrition. And of course, those are very, very vague or, or very broad topics. But what do you guys think as far like if you had to pick one thing or one area that is the main driver well let's start with dave what i didn't hear him what did he say what did what was his one thing that he thought was the driver of growth the way he looked at it was he saw what was what was going to be the biggest limiting factor 
He thought that, you know, if your training is at 100%, your training's at 100%. He said what he found to be the biggest limiting factor was his ability to eat food. And he felt, so he was he was pushing at his peak. It was like two cups of rice and I think it was like 10 ounces of chicken every hour on the hour while he was awake. And he just pushed that and pushed that and pushed that. He got, you know, he put on a lot of size. The dude got to 415 pounds and by no means was it a lean 415. But I mean, he he tried to push to the outside extremes of mass, just period. And he found that that was the limiting factor, that he couldn't physically eat more food. I don't know if I would agree with that as being what I would see as the driver, but that that was the perspective he took and it makes sense to me too you know we are we are limited by how much food we can eat if you have poor digestion you know that's that's going to be a, a a limiting factor so it could be the most important aspect but it's not my answer no but it may be different for every person too yeah as an yeah. example because he has his training locked in and he's pretty confident that his training is right he knows his gear so gear you know that may not be the issue it may be for him that that is the thing and that is his driver so maybe the answer is different for everybody i mean i can i can throw out what i think it is and it's probably my answer is going to be related to the things that i have battled with for a long time and my thing is recovery hmm. i think that if you eat a ton if you're not recovering you're not going to grow your training can be great uh, I guess it could be argued that your training isn't going to be great or plays into can play into your recovery ability. So your training can always be questioned uh, gear. I mean, let's gear obviously is important. There's a lot of different important variables, uh, but you can also take gear and still have recovery issues. I think a lot of people think that, well, as long as I'm on gear, I can't overtrain. And that's, that's ridiculous. I don't think as many people think that these days as they did 10, 15 years ago. Um, it seemed to be this this kind of a long-standing accepted, well, if I'm a guess it's going to be hard to overtrain. Then you go back to the Barbarian Brothers back in the 80s where there is no such thing as overtraining. There's only under-eating and under Well, yeah, there is for genetically gifted people maybe, but the rest of us mere mortals, uh, we do have to battle with overtraining at, at some point. It is a, it's not something that should be shelved or not be considered. I think ultimately it comes to everything is impacted by recovery. And to the point where your training may have to be a lot of people really sometimes have to cut back to such a ridiculously low or much lower amount of training and intensity than they might think they do, while others have to step it up because they may not be training hard. But I'm going to go on record as saying this. And you guys tell me if you if you disagree with this. I think that a lot of people, especially a lot of people listening, train hard enough to grow. I don't think their training intensity for the majority of people in our demographic who would listen to us that the intensity of their training is too low to grow. I think it's other components that aren't maximizing recovery. That's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> you guys can disagree if you want. I'm going to stick with it. I won't disagree with you, but I think the number one factor is number one factor for everything, genetics. I think genetics is a limiting factor, is the primary driver of growth. You know, like I'll give you an example. Sure, that's going to be recovery guy. too, you know. 
I mean, that's what I mean. Okay, so like I look at genetics as like a multifaceted thing, like genetics in terms of aesthetics, symmetry, you know, muscle shape, muscle belly, insertion, attachment. I look at genetics in the way of how your body processes food. Yep. I look at genetics in the way how your body processes drugs, both positive and negative side effects. Some people, like we talked about, Nate mentioned, doesn't really get a lot of negative side effects. And we know the shit's real, you know? Um you know, like you can put up two people on very similar cycles and one person, their blood work will have a lot of little red marks next to it. And the other person will have next to nothing. Yeah. You know, like what, what explains that? Right. And their supplementation is pretty much the same because you're coaching these people and you have them running the similar compounds and the similar supplements, too. So, um, yeah, I go back to genetics as controlling everything. You know, some people just have a better response with muscle protein synthesis. Some people just have a, a better response in terms of pain threshold in the intensity of a, of a, tr of a set. Um, so yeah, I just think genetics are, are the driver of muscle growth. Oh, I was going to go to over my example. There's a guy that just started going to my gym. He's a, he looks like, uh, do you guys remember Javon curse football player? Yeah. Tight, tight end. He looks like that, like, like six foot three six foot four, probably 270 pounds at like 8% body fat. So he's like a big, big black guy. He by far is the best physique that's ever walked in our gym. And I know he's a, he's a cop. So uh, I know for a fact that he, does not use drugs because I know I have another friend that's a cop that, you know, talks and stuff. My point is that like, like I know that there's like nothing I could do in terms of training harder, eating more, taking more drugs that would give me a physique like that. Like if you guys saw this guy, you'd be like, Oh shit, this guy could be like classic Olympia champion or, or he'd, he'd be in the top running if he yeah. did all the stuff that we do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just go back to genetics, you know, because well, I just, that's just my answer as I go to genetics for mm -hmm. pretty much everything. It's a cop out in a way, but I think it's true too. I don't um, think it's a cop out. I mean, I think it's legitimate. The thing is, is unfortunately we're, I mean, it's a poker hand. I've made this analogy. I mean, you play the hand you're dealt because you have no control. You have to work within the parameters of your genetic limitations. And that factors into everything from training to nutrition to drugs. And, and which is funny too, because we're talking about muscle growth. But there's obviously the same genetic limitations or factors when it comes to even getting shredded or getting getting lean as well. Sure, sure. So genetics plays into everything. I can't disagree with that. I think we can all agree, though, that don't we just in our inner, our deepest inner selves really despise people like that who yes. have that genetic? <laughs> and especially if they don't train, you're yes. like, come on, dude. Yeah. Like, why are you not training? If I looked like that all the time, I don't know if I would fucking train. No, that's Why would the I thing, train? Man. I already look like it without doing nothing. Yeah. I don't have to yeah. meals all the time. I don't have to miss social engagements. I don't have to do any of that shit. Well, here's another reason why I talk about genetics, because like I've coached kids that like like they would eat literally if you put on paper like a thousand calories a day, like they skip breakfast or have a pop tart. They would maybe make some semblance of a bodybuilding meal for lunch, chicken and rice, and then have a protein shake and maybe a slice of pizza, you know, before bed. And they could make twice the amount of gains and half the amount of time of 95% of my other clients. You know what yeah, I mean? For sure. Like, like I would even argue that maybe putting them on a bodybuilder strict diet and increasing their calories might've slowed them down in some way, you know, yeah. it, it, like you're doing so well with what you're doing. Like, why should I change it? Like keep eating your slice of pizza and your thousand calories and keep growing until it stops working. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so and then and that's why I go like back a to second genetics. Scoop. Add in like a second scoop of protein. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Working. Like the changes for them, it's like, okay, just add in 25 grams of protein and you know, yeah. So, so that's why I always go back to genetics for this kind of stuff because it just doesn't make sense on paper. That's yeah. I don't have the, 
<laughs> well, to touch base on that, actually, funny story is actually my first two or three years of training, I really ate like shit and it was sort of sporadic, but I made crazy gains because I trained my ass off. Huh. But that's what you were saying, Skip, about the recovery factor for yourself is that's like sort of like your, your like uh, crux, right? So it's the same idea with myself is like I could get away with like not really eating. Obviously, I had to get to the next level. I had to learn how to eat, but I made pretty good gains and I was a pretty good natural competitor, not really following a crazy good diet, eating like shit a little bit, missing meals here and there. <clears throat> and I still made pretty good progress. So for me personally, I would say training would be the biggest driving factor. But then if you look like if I go into the gym, like let's say a bro gym where you see some kids that are like training really hard, but they always look the same, right? So I look at them, they're training hard, they're in there every day or whatever, five days a week. So what's the missing piece? The diet, right? So how many guys do you know, like, okay, if this dude actually followed a diet and actually was like strict, he would probably make progress. Whereas now he's not really making progress. He's just at a standstill, you know, lifting, training hard, but he's not really getting anything out of it, you know? So maybe then what I'm hearing is that for the overwhelming majority, it's lacking one of those components like the one of the pillars whether it's training nutrition recovery um what else or proper drug use you know it, it's like one of those pillars that they're at they're missing that stops them from getting to the next level i know this is kind of segmented from like what's the prime driver of growth but yeah. but i think it, everyone's making really good points here that you know that like to really be a good successful bodybuilder you need to have all four of those pillars going for you properly mm -hmm. yeah and i do think a good take home from that is to look at your own program you know, in what what is what is the biggest limiting factor in your program right now based off of those pillars? I mean, I think we mostly all have the drugs thing covered. You know, if you're a fan of the Think Big bodybuilding podcast stuff, you guys know a lot about gear and you're probably already using it. Uh, but, you know, I, I could see nutrition being a huge factor. I could see training being a huge factor, too. You know, here's a good example is how many times have you heard someone say, I'm going to take my off season serious this time. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Meaning sure. diet usually because <laughs> they're eating yeah. like garbage all year or they, they, you know, they follow plan for a month. Then they sort of, you know, eating off plan. Then they're missing meals. Da, 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 da. Then you get a guy that's like, okay, like this year I really took it seriously. I hit every single meal. I stayed up till one o'clock at night to eat my last meal, this, that, and the third. And they make a lot of progress. Right. Yeah. I got a question on that on that front for all of you guys. So you got to just made me think of this because I get asked this all the time too. Uh, so Nate was just talking about like I stayed up until one o'clock to make sure I got my last meal in. But let's say that means they only get five, five and a half hours of sleep. And they've told you that because they got to get up at six. Which do you tell them to do? Do you tell them to make sure they stay up later to get that meal in? Or do you say, hey, go to bed. Let's just try to plan better the next day. Sleep I over food it. always. I've said it for years. Now, that's just me. But I have it's um it's something that has been a broken record kind of a mantra with me with my clients, uh, in almost a very black and white. When in doubt, now unless you're just going to stay up for thirty minutes or something like that. But I always say sleep should always trump food. But that's like I say that's just something I've gone with. I might have to mute this for a minute because I've got a very very loud cat back here. Take it. I mean, I would disagree honestly because I've seen a lot of guys make tremendous progress by following that sort of rhythm, missing out on an hour, two hours of sleep and myself included. But I mean, you know, obviously there's going to be different. Um, I think it's another component where some people that sleep is going to be more important for them. Um, where some guys like Dusty Hanshaw talks about sleeping five or four hours a night, yeah. but look yeah. Dusty, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's sort of, and it's not on purpose. That's just sort of the way he's, you know what I mean? Wired. But I'm just saying, sometimes I think people are so focused on the eight hours of sleep. I got to get eight hours of sleep. But if you get six, 
I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Is it really that detrimental? You know, I guess it depends on the person, but. Yeah. But I think sleep is cumulative too. I mean, if you miss out on yeah. a few hours of sleep one night, it shouldn't impact the average person for one day. And when I say it's cumulative, it really can only will start to be an issue if you're running three and four days on, on a significantly less amount of sleep. So people, I think, need to take that into consideration too. If you have a hectic, and I think a lot of people do these days, they have very hectic schedules outside of if you're a trainer and then you are, you have the flexibility to kind of, you know, not only work when you want, but sleep when you want. But if you have a, a regular job and you're kind of this, this average, you got to get up and go to work type person, I think a large majority of those people are running on less sleep than than the rest of us and yeah. if you can catch up on the weekends or you can catch up you know one it may be in the middle of the week it can typically get a few extra hours it can typically you'll function quite well so of course you know there are variables and and everybody is going to be different you know another thing to that too without getting long-winded is if you are dieting and you're starving and you know you're not going to sleep very well and you have to stay up a little later to get a meal that you may you know, that may help to impact and give you a better quality sleep, then there's a difference too. I just have always rattled that off and it makes it very black and white for the average client to understand, okay, I'm not going to make it a habit of staying up to get that meal when, you know, I can go to sleep and rest and recover. Sure. Sure. CPAPs too, you know, I, I, I've found myself that if, you know, it, it's not something I, I recognized I needed until I had it. And now I can't imagine sleeping without a CPAP. And when I have gotten heavier, then I'm, I know I'm more dependent on it versus when I'm lighter and leaner, it, you know, sleeping doesn't seem to be quite as affected, but you know, quality of sleep, if we're talking about that, I mean, I think that that could be, you know, yeah. a limiting factor right there. Then again, though, like, you know, you could take, and we go back to Andrew's genetics uh, and then we could move on to our questions here too, but Go back to Andrew's, you know, genetics topic. I mean, look at, once again, Dusty. Dusty has done sleep studies multiple times. He's like 300 pounds. He's never had an issue with sleep apnea. Sleeps five hours a night, like Nate was saying, and he's fine. So yeah. so, so screw Dusty. We got to get him on the of, show, by the way. Of all of us, okay. who is on, who sleeps with a CPAP regularly? I don't. You don't eat, you it. don't need? Okay. Okay. I'm the I only tried one, it. Huh? I couldn't. I felt like I was dying, like I was drowning <laughs> or something. It wasn't adjusted right then. Did you need it? Uh, self-diagnosed, but Okay. Maybe maybe. Yeah, like, I think that's where I went wrong is um I bought one black market and Chris Tuttle was telling me it'll make a huge difference if you have a doctor like set it all up yeah. and program yeah. it this that and the third and but I don't really have never been diagnosed. I was just sort of like, oh, I'll try it. You know what I mean? See if it makes a difference. But my girl, Abby, doesn't really think I have sleep apnea. So I'm pretty sure you're significant. Well, I guess that's not always the case, well, I guess. Because you cannot, uh, you can still have like sleep apnea issues and you're not like waking up right or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess can, that's not I, I would argue that, you know, anytime, like, well, I think me and Nate are probably the only two that get up to like the 280s or so. But like, I think any guy that's 275 plus, 280, like, you probably have some sort of a need for it, you know? Yeah. They say like, once your neck is 18 inches, like the probability yeah. of your, you having a sleep oh, apnea is huge. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just know when I'm heavier, like I'm waking up every five minutes. when yeah. I'm sleeping. Oh, your like, neck. Okay. My yeah. bad. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, shit, I need a CPAP. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Listen, guys, let's move on. We've got a bunch of listener questions here. And if anybody watching wants to chime in with some questions, you guys are welcome to do so. Um, I know everybody likes to hear, especially Nate, whenever you're on, 
people are always like, dude, I love hearing Nate's training stuff. So we had a training question here about triceps. Let me see if I can grab this one and bring it up and read it. Triceps. <laughs> Tricep <laughs> training. What's worked for you in regards to frequency, volume, exercises to grow? Um, what did you find didn't work very well for you or your clients? Uh, what do you, there's more to see, but I didn't get it. Uh, what do you guys see guys do wrong when it comes to tricep training? We'll stop there. I mean, I'm pretty basic when it comes to triceps, but, um, I think it's just like what I see a lot of guys do wrong is mechanics, you know, and just sort of the way they're performing the exercise. They might be putting a little bit too, like the weight over the tricep, you know, when they're like sort of hunched over, um, instead of standing straight up and down and using all their tricep, you know what I mean? And not coming out all the way up top. You know, I see, I see a lot of guys, they sort of do this, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that. Um, and then honestly, I mean, it's hard because it's finding what exercises work for you. Right. Like, so for myself, like I just really love a cable push down, um, overhead cable, and then like the tricep, um, dumbbell skull crushers on the incline. Love those. They are like my, my bread and butter, you know what I mean? Like always is effective. Um, I think you gotta be careful as far as progressive overload on something like a skull crusher or those dumbbell overhead, you know what I mean? Um, just a lot of guys run into like elbow uh, pain and you don't really want to like make it worse than it is. Like Dusty says, he's like, he does those like, you know, hundred pound skull crushers, but he's like, I'm not going to tell my client to do it if they say their elbows hurt. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily one size fits all, you know what I mean? But I do believe frequency on arms, like triceps and biceps. I'm a big believer in like high frequency two to three times a week, um, like 20, 20 to 30 minutes tops. Um, I think I saw a lot of really good progress with my arms there. Um, instead of like, I, th I think a lot of guys come in the gym, they might have an arm day and they'll spend an hour training their arms, which yeah. is, you know, overkill. kill. And I think it's sort of get in, get out, you know, get the blood in there. It goes fast. So that's another thing too. I like to move fast on arms, you know, really just chase the pump. Um, obviously on triceps, you can get a little more uh, away with like the progressive overload style because you can start a, it's a little more compound movements. Um, but honestly, like I'm not huge on the skull crushers or the close grip bench. I I used to do a lot of close grip bench, but I really just think it's more wear and tear for myself, at least. Um, if it works good for you, you know what I mean? Then, yeah, like I said, you know, find the stuff that works good for you. But for me, arms definitely, you know, training them high frequency, uh, low volume, you know, get in, get out, um, higher repetitions too. Um, I really like and just like sort of not necessarily – so for me, like if I do a cable push down, I'm not going to try to keep progressing every week. You know yeah. what I mean? If anything, I'm just going to try to really contract harder, you know, maybe slow it down um, and increase the rep range. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, my cat's being really loud. Yeah. <laughs> do you have anything? I See, I don't have triceps like Nate, but I do have a, two points that I want to throw in that I think have worked very, very well for uh, my clients over the years and myself included. One is putting more focus on the long head because a lot of your pressing and your heavy pressing for chest and shoulders is not digging into the long head as much. And to get into the long head, you have to open the angle between the torso and the upper arm. Again, it's a lot about elbow position. That long head is attached to the scapula. It's the 
one tricep head that attaches to the scapula. So when you open that angle up, you're going to hit it more. Um, I always laugh and say, if you're not sure what the long head is, it's that fat part that women talk about all the time that, that they say hangs down. It's not that that's actually their fat, but it's in that area. The other thing is, is, and this has helped a lot of people with elbow problems, train biceps before triceps. If you're, if you're training arms together on the same day. And the reason is you're going to get more blood into the arms that way. You're kind of warming up the triceps and the tricep tendon prior to training triceps. And it kind of gives you this, this odd little cushion. It's, I, I compare it to, to warming up your legs or, or not warming up your legs, but training hamstrings before quads. You get a lot of blood in there. Your knees typically will be in better condition to start a quad workout. If you start with hamstrings first, skipping his long head. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. <laughs> Those are my two points smart, because I think the average person the smartest guy so juvenile. Yeah. <laughs> you got anything, Andrew? Yeah, I'll just add two more quick points. Uh, I think sequencing is big here. Like Nate mentioned, like if the, yes. the point that Dusty was talking about in terms of, you know, if an exercise like a skull crusher or a behind the head dumbbell extension um, hurts, a, don't do that first. Um, you might find that if you do two to three other exercises before that and it's completely warmed up and you might be slightly weaker at that point, you can do that exercise now uh, pain free. So that, that'd be my advice. You know, like for me, you'll never see me do a skull crusher type exercise first. It's always like third or maybe last if that mm -hmm. like like I, I'm like what Nate said, I like to do uh, more basic stuff in terms of your, your some variation of a press down, some type of overhead um, um, like rope extension. Uh, lately, we've been falling in love with where we take a Smith machine and then two handles and lay on a bench and do skull crushers that way. Um, if you get, if you kind of get what I'm thinking here, can you guys two picture handles. that? What kind of handles? Just two D handles, like flexible D handles. So like you're laying on your bench and, and you're still doing the tricep extension. Oh, but I you're, see. You're, laying, you're laying down yeah, and yeah. it feels really, really smooth. What's that? Sounds like a little more comfortable on your wrist. 100% more comfortable yeah, on your yeah, wrist. Yeah. And when your wrist is more comfortable, your elbows right. are not going to be suffering as much either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which leads into my, my second point. Um, what was my second point? <laughs> oh, well, you know, what's the goal of the exercise? Are you trying to get an insane contraction or are you trying to get a really good stretch? So, like, you can take, say, uh, a press down, right? And you could really work the extreme stretch on the exercise, or you can work the extreme um, contraction. And you're probably not going to be as strong depending on which, um, which one you're going for. And you can mm -hmm. still look at that the same way in terms of your exercise selection, you know? Like, if you're doing, say, a skull crusher or, like, uh, John Meadows called them dumbbell kickouts where you're just bringing the dumbbell tips to here, right? You're working yeah. more of the contraction, whereas when you're bringing your arms back behind your head – you're already stretched, like oh, you're, you're halfway stretched when you're starting a movement. Sure. And then you're really stretched when you get deep, deep, deep down behind your head. So I think that's another thing to think about. Like, and you can use the same focus with biceps and other exercises as well. Are you going more for a contraction here or are you going more for a stretch? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Well, to touch on what Andrew just said too, I'm not huge on the weighted stretch, but for triceps, I really am. So if I have that cable one, I might hold it in this position for about 10 seconds and all the blood will just go rushing that tricep. Same thing with like a skull crusher or like we, me and you, Andrew, we used to do these behind the head and then you'd yeah. sit there. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Those are really, yeah. That's a Dante uh, trick. Yeah. Another one. Ever yeah, we use a rotate bar? 
Um, you guys know what the rotate is for tricep press downs? Fucking insane. And again, it comes back to you make a very good point. I think the skull crushers bother a lot of people with their elbows because you're locked into that position with your wrists and your elbows. There's not a lot of room to shift things. But when you get into something like a rotate bar or even just holding uh, a dumbbell in each hand, you get to then be able to move and you have a little bit more freedom in the uh, in the wrist and then ultimately in your elbow position. And I think well, that that can make a, a be a big factor when it comes to elbow irritation. It's funny because it reminds me actually like maybe 10 years from now or before when the magazines were big and like it was like everyone was so married, like you have to do skull crushers or you have to do close grip bench because in the magazine it said, two mass building tricep yeah. exercises. Like the other exercises won't build mass. <laughs> they were shapers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have to do these. <laughs> right, right. And I need to take cell tech. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have one uh, about taking orals with fats. So Andrew says, uh, opinions, experience with orals. Do you take them with a small amount of fat or empty stomach or let it dissolve under your tongue for a bit before ingestion? I take mine with 10 grams of fat, usually M usually Mac oil. Uh, and typically anadrol, halo, or methyl trend for powerlifting peak week only. Peak week only. Peak week. <laughs> powerlifting peak week. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm going to be, I'll just say like, no, I don't make a concerted effort to take fats with my oral drugs. I can understand why there might be some, some gross science or some, you know, ideas towards the, that move. But A, I've never had an issue with, um, like I take orals and I see the effects from them. If you get what I'm saying, like they're doing what yeah. they're supposed to do. So I don't think there's a problem with absorbency. Um, in that case, I don't know if you guys feel different. Yeah. I'm the same way. And also you becomes all these minute things add up. Right. So it's like, I got to take this pill at this time. I got to do this thing at this time. And then now I got to take bats with the orals. It's like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's hard enough to like sort of <laughs> add everything on like the list. <laughs> well, plus what yeah. if you're on a diet that's extremely low in fat and now all of a sudden yeah. you got to take your 10 grams of fat with your pills. You know, if you're doing orals twice a day, you know, towards the end of a contest prep, um, what if you're not on 20 grams of fat a day? You know, I'm not saying, you know, most of yeah. us well, still have that much. But in fairness, Andrew did say powerlifting. I think we all know the powerlifters are not dying. They're not going zero fat. They're not going zero fat. I would tell Andrew then, if it's working for you, then absolutely keep doing it. Sure. You know? yeah. I mean, yeah. that's always my answer and everything. If something's working you're doing it, don't change. If it's not working, yeah. look at a change. Simple as that. I don't think the efficacy is good. I don't think it's going to not work if you're not taking. The only thing I would say, yeah. and I didn't know if maybe he was getting to this, about taking orals on an empty stomach. I'll be honest with you. I would I would probably lean towards taking something like Anadrol or Superdrol or Halitestin, maybe with some food, because if they are that toxic, I don't know I want them sitting in my stomach with no food. I would probably feel, whether it's true or not, that I don't know, I was growing some kind of massive tumors or something in my stomach, you want some which bread is clearly to... not factual or scientific. You want some and, bread but, to yeah, yeah, absorb the tumors. Something in you know? there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, why, why Absolutely would the food no sitting in there stop a tumor from growing if you're getting the same dose of drugs? Hey, listen, it's just I told mental. You, this is not scientific okay. at all. It cushions okay. the it cushions the tumors. Uh, yeah, it, thins, gotcha. it, it it kind of spreads out the drugs. Yeah, so it doesn't just 
Because you know Burn when you take street. a drug, it sits in your stomach in one place, and and, and then burn. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the tab will like stick to a part of your stomach until it fully dissolves, right? And, until it just goes to the muscle, right? The tablet just <laughs> right. like breaks into little right. pieces and goes into until each gets, individual muscle fiber, and it, it just, just says grow into the and gets strong. <laughs> I have oh, a uh, I have a question here from a female listener. And uh, it's a little bit longer. Let me screen cap this one. She says, um, new to using injectables, I believe. Says, a little uh, stronger? Jesus. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Says, my question is, I am fairly new to injectables. My last year in bikini was the first time that I used any type of steroid. And uh, I was on Anivar. The next season, I went into figure. I used Anivar along with Winnie. Uh, September 2021, I then used my first injectable of Primo, uh, evenly adding in EQ and then a small amount of MPP, then my orals. Okay. After competing and blood work, uh, both my ALT, AST, RBC, and hematocrit was elevated. I discontinued everything October 2021. December 2021, I decided to start a low dose of GH2 units, two days on, one day off. All of my levels are now normal and even had doctor run other labs and looked she's, uh, at liver perfect. Um, I guess perfect is what the doctor said. Uh, February, I started again, low dose of Primo and NPP. My strength and reps are definitely increasing even after two back-to-back or two back-to-back surgeries, uh, I was thinking of saving the orals for when prep started again using Anivar in liquid form along with Winnie and the injectables listed. Again, I am very new to this, but upon speaking to several trusted friends, this was the the uh, this was the good route. Um, I'm going to leave out the EQ only because of the issue of blood thickness. Uh, I should add that in August 2021 was my first and only year in figure because of conditioning and thickness of muscle on upper body. I was recommended to compete in physique, uh, even though I'm very tiny. She's got, she's got, a, I know who this is. She's got a you know pretty decent upper body legs can use to come up, but she's, you know, she's small frame, I guess we should say. Uh, but I would say this, it sounds, can we break that down? What was all that gear that I had read she used for the, for the prep? She started with Anivar and right. then she used Anivar with, with Winstrol, Winstrol her second season. Yep. Right. Yep. And then she switched, uh, to her first injectable of Primo and then added in some EQ and then added in some NPP and, and the then more of, and the orals again. Okay. So it's a lot of gear in my opinion. Yeah. And in fairness, um, so she did say a lot of compounds, but I mean, she is, we don't know the exact dosing, but I mean, if, if she's saying a small amount of MPP, I mean, I wouldn't, I would expect that that probably is relatively small. The question is how well, small. And can I say first before you continue that she said, I've talked to a lot of friends and then they said this was good. That to me is always like, like when you have polypharmacy of compounds, especially with women and yes. friends are weighing in on that, that yeah. kind of like, you know, because like a friend's like a friend's like, oh, yeah, you should do it. I had great experience with it, but they mm. might not have ran EQ, you know, NPP, Primo and all these other compounds. They might have ran the, that one compound, whereas a coach who has vested interest in a making sure that they don't hurt you because that's your reputation as a coach will probably mm. be like, well, hold on here. 
like I don't think you need all that right now. Like let's let let's try like one compound at a time. At least that would be my take with a female. Some coaches. Um, so well, yeah. I, I I honestly I think a lot of coaches out there are more competent than than not. You know, and they kind of go along the same line of okay, let's try this primo and maybe primo in one oral versus primo NPP EQ. I mean, that's that's a stack right there. You know. Yeah. Um, so what and would be the other thing is she said her her blood work was fine. I would also I, she didn't mention her hormones like her her sex hormones. Like I want to see what those look like, and I would advise her that like you need to get those back in line before you jump on another cycle because your next prep is probably going to be a lot harder than your previous preps because you haven't recovered hormonally. Yeah. Yeah. What would be a small dose of NPP when you, when we're talking females? Twenty megs every other day to three to four days a week tops. Okay. Cause I don't know what she was using, but that'll give her some insight in, you know, into what you consider a small dose. Cause maybe she thought a hundred milligrams was a small dose. I don't know. That's the other right. Thing. That's yeah. what I'm curious too. I, I didn't know. Yeah. I don't know what those numbers are, uh, but I like the numbers Andrew threw out. I had started to take a breath. And when you said that like 20, I'm like, is that in line with my, I'm like, yeah. Cause I would have said maybe 30, 30 twice a week. Yeah. Something yeah. in there. Yeah. It's that's, yeah. but then again, again, you don't know what the primo dosing is. Um, <laughs> It, it, ultimately, her question, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is she's getting the feedback from her friends. And I think she likes the feedback to that when she goes back on to not add the orals in yet and to to use them later for prep. I would I personally would agree with that. I think that that's a good idea. Well, yeah. The oral is a good idea at the like when she first started and she was only doing an oral for bikini and then she added another oral. That's a typical progression for that for that division of bikini, which is yeah. kind of funny too, because if we go back 10 years to bikini, all these, this gear would be like, Oh my God, your trainer has you on all this gear for bikini. But the natural progression of bikini now is not, it's not just, and I'm sorry to say it, but I'm going to be blunt. It's not a tits and ass contest as much now as it was then. It literally was when we were judging and I'm going to, I know this sounds shitty, but I don't care. I'm just being honest. I would hit that first that second that third that was a standing joke and i am sorry i know that sounds very shitty and unprofessional but it was that much of a i, I consider it a hawaiian tropic contest and it's yeah. it's progressed to the fact or to the point now where it's not like it used to be so there is going to be more as with any progression in any division more drug use um mm -hmm. in the divisions where you didn't see that before she's with well, us things, by the way she's a couple things that worry me is Oh, is that the girl that asked the question? Yes, yes. I didn't know if she would identify herself or not, <laughs> so I left her anonymous. Uh, yep. Does she have a coach? Because, I mean, she should be asking the coach, not her friends, like, in my I opinion. I agree with that as That's well. That's true. You know? That's true. And then also, it seems like there's a progression there as far as, like, you don't have to try every single drug. You know what I mean? It's almost like, okay, I started out taking Anavar. I started taking Anavar Winnie. I started taking da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's like you don't have to, like, and the thing that worries me is she says she was in figure and she wasn't quite lean enough, right? So is she looking at no, I thought, she was. I, I she thought was she said lean. she she was like they uh, thought she was super lean, oh, and that's why they thought she uh, could go to uh, women's physique, and she had a really developed upper body. I worked with her for I think it was her first show, bikini. We, oh, got, okay. her, we got her absolutely. You had her on Anavar? No, we got her absolutely peeled. <laughs> like she was <laughs> <Exactly>. fucking peeled. <laughs> I, I looked at her pictures after you sent me your profile. I think, or we talked about it maybe one of the last shows, and yeah, she just had a great progression with her physique. So forget yeah. anything I said. You're doing. A lot of the right stuff. <laughs> well, the thing is, if you want to stay in figure, then like you might, it's okay to back off on some of that stuff. 
You know what I mean? Like, because she wants to stay in figure, right? Well, she's in physique now. She's in physique now. They told her that because of her level of. What's that? She wants to go to physique? Yeah, they said because of her level of muscularity already that uh, they, has, she would hasn't be a she already, fit there. She's already competed in women's physique, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, I, I, here's what I tell all women when they use compounds. And obviously, this uh, woman is not a first-time user. But whenever they you know, start using compounds or they want to look into other compounds, I, I tell them, okay, look, I want you to do a whole bunch of research on your own and then ask me a bunch of questions so then we can go over it. And I want you to be aware of all the potential side effects. Um, and decide which ones you're okay with and which ones you're not. And we have a rule that like, if you see a side effect you don't like, let me know. We either pull the compound out or we cut the dose in half immediately, depending on what it is. Very responsible way to go at it. Like for me, like I don't ever want to have the reputation of turning Mm -hmm. women into men, hurting Mm -hmm. anybody with drugs. Like that's just very important to me. Like I don't want any of my clients to die under my watch. That's why like, I will not use a lot of diazide or any stuff like that. If if we can't get dry doing natural stuff and and you know, a little bit of diazide, then then you just can't get dry enough. You know, like I'm I'm not going to roll the dice on someone's health or life to mm-hmm. try to win a trophy. You know, and, and, and I think in the moment, clients would be like, "Well, you didn't push me hard enough on that." But I think ten years later, they'll be like, "Oh wow, this guy was looking out for me, and he, right. he realized that I wanted to have a family someday, or I mm-hmm. wanted to be there for my kids, or whatever the heck it is." But yeah. Um, kind of going off on a tangent there but you know i guess but an important one yeah it's it's, really it is the 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 client has to be i think a hundred percent on board and a hundred percent comfortable with the gear protocol if they're not and you have to really sometimes push them if they're not you got to get it to the point where they are because and I, i look it's not just because of you know negative publicity but we have seen it come out where there's some kind of there, there, whether legit or not, there are legit shit. I don't want anybody pouncing on me and saying that I'm sticking up for, you know, the industry. There are legitimate things and then there are not legitimate things and not winning because you didn't take enough gear is certainly different than you're taking a bunch of shit and something happens to you. And then it goes up, you know, it gets out publicly or virally and you're being lambasted and you're unprofessional. You don't care about your clients. You have to be very, very careful that your clients are 100% on board. It is absolute, an absolute necessity. Agreed. Agreed. And that's coming from somebody who's done this for over 20 years. So you've, you've stuck around by that philosophy, you know? Well, it, yeah. it, it, it doesn't only pay it. It's also moralistically the right thing to do. And- right. right. Exactly. Anybody with a conscience, I think, would approach it that way. But we all know that the, the, the other ugly end of this is sometimes people will change over time and they get greedy and they run too many clients and they're not keeping track of gear. And, you know, they, this is what we'll do. And it just, get, ugh. Yeah, I'll stop there. All right. Got one from Danny Zane. He says, uh, thoughts on replacing T3 and T4 for life uh, if one genetically has a slow metabolism and gains body fat easily. I know many people are uh, that pretty much use T3, T4 year round, uh, but is there any negatives to this? I asked him a follow-up. So this was in the group. Uh, I asked him a follow-up, um, and I said, uh, have you had your levels tested? And he said, yes, 
they were always below the reference range. I think because I've dieted down three years ago naturally to very low body fat and stayed at that body fat for a significant amount of time, I was basically anorexic and screwed up my thyroid function. So what he's asking is, yes, people do that. It's called hypothyroidism. Doctors prescribe for that every day of the week. Um, but I would look more so at uh, supplements first, like um, uh, New Ethics makes a good one called ThyroBoost with like selenium, zinc, iodine, um, uh, bovine thyroid, several different sources of, uh, of, of different desiccated thyroid. And I would start that. And I would see how he does with that at like two caps morning, two caps evening. And then, you know, do that for like two months and then retest his values and see what's going on. Provided that like, I'm going to provide it. I'm just going to say provided that he's not like eating a thousand calories right now and he's not doing six hours of cardio a day. And like, if he's doing like a normal, you know, off season, maybe a couple cardio sessions a week and he's eating appropriate calories and he's, you know, getting enough vitamins and minerals and stuff. I would, mm-hmm. I would look at something. And didn't come off like this long run of T3, T4 for a year. And then it's only been three months. Um, I, I'm going to go on record as saying if anybody, him or anybody else is considering T3, T4 for life, I would exhaust all other options prior to that, I would make that a last resort. And there are people who de- do need, obviously, to be on T4, but also sometimes co- a combination of the two. It happens. I've got clients that have to do that as well um, by their, you know, prescribed by their doctor and that sort of thing. But I, before getting to that kind of last resort, I would, I would exhaust all options. Andrew makes some, gives some good suggestions. That's just last resort type of type of stuff i think thyroid is just you just don't want to um well you don't want to have any hormones uh shut off forever and and count on exogenous you know hormone supplementation unless you absolutely have to true let me add one other thing to that before though make sure he might want to do a liver detox because your liver is really responsible um for for thyroid health in a big way Uh, for instance like if your thyroid's clogged up and not detoxifying properly a lot of your t3 will convert to reverse t3 so it'll show up low on Mm. your your t3 levels will show up very low and your tsh will show up very high so uh, I, i think i wouldn't like like skip saying i wouldn't go right to drugs for life i would look at uh, systemic body things that you can do like a liver detox or, you know, maybe there's something you're eating that is not, um, gelling with your liver or some supplement or, or, or maybe you're crushing orals all the time. You know, maybe that's a case that your liver's not prop, uh, functioning properly. Cause that will have an effect on your thyroid. Yeah. Did he say he's been like in the same body fat percentage for like three years too, or is he finally like come out of that and reset? That's you bring up a good point. Scott Stevenson was kind of touching that too, saying if you're fighting, to stay yeah. at body fat much lower than set point, one could expect thyroid function to reflect that. Is that what mm-hmm. you're getting at, Nate? Yeah, yeah, that was my thought too. Like, has he tried to reset the diet and metabolically, sort of, you know what I mean? New set point, you know. Is he adding refeeds? Is he trying to stimulate yeah. his metabolism? Um, you know, some people get in a health, unhealthy spot. I have a client actually that's sort of similar, and they always want to stay like in this, you know, shredded lean state and they year round and you know, some people take it to a, a different extreme, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, never really, they have to be at this certain look and mm-hmm. whatever. And obviously that can be sort of detrimental to your health. 
Andrew says, uh, <laughs> waiting for the L-carnitine comment. That's a point. All the talk we've had about L-carnitine on the podcast, <laughs> if you have low, th- low thyroid, then taking a, some L-carnitine may improve that. That could be an option, too. Wait, is that is that how it goes? I th- I, I thought the the what we should extrapolate from you know stuff that and Doctor Scott can comment on this was that um, using too much carnitine will stop will slow down or stop the interaction of T three on like uh, cells and like for instance like high doses of carnitine is used in a thyroid storm like yes. where your T three is going out of control. It's so it's weird, dude. Maybe, maybe, so well, maybe I missed something. Is there a, is there a proper amount of carnitine that we need for proper thyroid function? Well, here's what Scott maybe. said on the podcast. So, two th- if you have hyperthyroid, and and I believe this was studies done orally, two thousand milligrams will help to reduce that. If you have hypothyroid, when I say reduce it, it, it like you said, it doesn't actually yeah. reduce the hormone. It reduces yeah. the effect of the hormone. Mm-hmm. If you have low thyroid and you take 2000 milligrams, it will help to improve your ability to use it. So there's no single answer, which if Scott Stevenson's talking about it, I, I you can expect that there's no black and white. But it ex- <laughs> what it is saying, though, is there's a balance there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's you need the to way have- I understood it, too. I didn't know the specific numbers. Yes, you need use, to have adequate levels. Use code think at Amino Asylum. <laughs> Thanks, oh, Andrew. Shit. Appreciate you, man. I I, I use uh, the the, the uh, Amino Asylum. Uh, it's good. Carnitine. It's good. It's I'm great. using it for post COVID, and it, like it really does make a difference for brain fog for me. Plus, uh, it, it helps with my workouts too. Like I feel more energized during them, so it's good. It's good stuff. I'm trying to look for like one more killer question to wrap this thing up. Guys, did you have something you want to? Any questions? Anybody in we the talk group? About, we guys? can talk about someone being three weeks out from the Boston Pro. Who <laughs> in this room would be three weeks out from the Boston Pro? Skip, <laughs> you've been keeping it under your hat, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, it is definitely not me. <laughs> How's it going, Nate? Good, man. Uh, yeah, it's been interesting. I think just to touch on, I think I don't know if a lot of people really can relate because uh, it's pretty – I don't know if it's cool, but um, like a 12 week stretch is pretty uncommon, you know, for a diet phase. So, you know, that's always pretty uh, educational for, you know, research purposes. Uh, so it's been um, pretty, pretty different. So, you know, uh, after nationals, we, you know, took a lot of the gear out, you know, just went like test primo, proviron for about six, five weeks out. And then we started adding some stuff back in. And then we pretty much reverse dieted up to, you know, we got up to, cap, uh, carbs to like 500 a little over i think actually like 520 or yeah. something like that with, nope, with then, pretty big free meals yeah and then we and then a free meal every week and then we slowly pulled down the last like week or two not yeah. pulled down but <laughs> we're at like 400 grams of carbs i think right now so yeah like his training days are 400 his rest days are 300 he's still got a free meal every week he lost two pounds of fat this week Holy and shit. like i did a comparison of you know three weeks out from uh, nationals to three weeks out right now and he looks like a week ahead of where he was last time so um yeah i think everything's going really well are you guys hey, posting and he's like or are you guys posting well, any pics right now or are you keeping it under your hat yeah i just posted a youtube video actually nasty nate uh on youtube no check it out we'll put it in the links in the description guys yeah but there's a I was also gonna, video. Uh, i was also gonna say he's like six pounds heavier right now too no kidding yeah that's feeling a lot bigger and fuller um yeah. so um it is funny though. I think a lot of people, when you say like, "Oh, you know, food's up, cardio's lower," my energy level still sucks. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't have as much of an excuse 
you know, for the girlfriend. It's like, she's like, oh, well, you're eating, so you should be fine. But I'm like, I still feel like a slot. <laughs> yeah. No, just, I mean, well, we, we talk about metabolism. We, we've increased your metabolism greatly from show day to, to mm-hmm. now. So, and anyone that's been in that state of condition you're in knows that no matter how much you're eating, it, it's still a drain on your body. You're, you're, you're filling the tank and you're emptying it every single day. It's, yeah. well, it's just a repeat signal, of that. Hunger signaling, right? And, and anybody a, who's listening like, who might think, oh, this is because Nate is a pro. He can get away and he can do this. Let me tell you, there's a lot of perils to the average person to getting that lean for a show. And your metabolism builds momentum rolling downhill. And it becomes, it can become this out of control fucking freight train as you then essentially continue to feed it. It's not just a pro thing. Even people with average or mediocre genetics will respond in a very similar way when you're that fucking lean. So get that lean. I, I, I've always said, that. Hey, look, if you're not sure you can get that, don't even set a show, get your ass retardedly lean and then build into it from there. Almost like that. you had a show first. And even if you don't do a show first and then build into that, you have to obviously have a longer time for your, well, you, guys, phase you guys know as coaches too, how many guys have you reverse dieted like the slow method? And they're like, I'm fucking dying. I'm, I'm starving. Yeah. yeah. You know, the yeah. food is like, you know, 75% higher than it was when they were dieting. Yeah. And now, you know what I mean? You've got that freaking spark going. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. shit, I'm so hungry. Yeah. I always like to explain to them, like, that's the best case scenario. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, it is. Like, if you're still starving 12 weeks after the show and your, your calories yeah. have gone up, you know, between 25 and 75% of what they were, it's like, mm-hmm. we're in a great position here, man. Like, yeah. like we want you hungry. That hunger <laughs> helps me so much. Being mm-hmm. full. I think really being full is the kiss of death in the off season, you know? Agreed. Oh, yeah. You get your point. Yeah. It's, yep. But yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Like, uh, so I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but I'm going to get to stand next to Steve Kuklo. So that's pretty Oh, that's deal. awesome. Hell yeah. That's I, awesome. I remember one of my first uh, MD magazines was Steve Kuklo and Antoine. They were like 21 and 23. And they had like an arm workout in there. So I always remember that. Like one of those are my first magazines. So. You should bring that magazine with you and try to get him to sign it. Yeah. <laughs> and he would. He Steve is cool as fuck. He's like one of the the most humble, down-to-earth, chill OGs. The guy is just fucking rock solid, man. That sport needs more Steve Kuklos. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, he came and guest posed at our Vermont show, I think. What was it seven oh, sure. or eight years ago? Yeah. Super cool guy. Super, mm-hmm. super cool guy. Took pictures with everybody and was like genuinely like he seemed like he was really happy to be there. You know, it wasn't yep. just like next, you know. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. He's from here. I, I saw him compete as oh, yeah. he was like Justin 19. Or, uh, Justin uh, Harris. Justin. Yeah. 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 He was like yeah. 19 years old. I watched him in like 2006. Oh, at the, it was either, I think it was 2006 or 2005 at the Motor City Classic, I think it was called. Yeah. And uh, he just smoked everybody in the whole show at like 19. <laughs> His mom was out in the audience just screaming for him. And I was like, holy shit. Like, this is what a, it was like, this is what a pro looks like. Like, it, it crashed all my hopes. I was like, I want to, yeah. I really, I came because I was like, I want to check this out. I want to compete, you know, and I'm looking at local competitors that I knew. And then I see Steve Kuklo at 19. I'm like, oh, wow. What's he doing that I'm not, you know? It's like when someone says, hey, kid, go to a bodybuilding show for your first time. Check it out. The first time I had that, uh, you know, that premonition or whatever that you had, Scott, was when uh, I think like the year after that, or maybe it was the same year, Chris Tuttle 
was uh, getting back into competing and he did the our Vermont show and like you saw him in clothes and you weren't like you weren't like oh that guy's gonna win the show yeah. but like his face like like he had like those bones that were just sticking out so I was like all right there's something up with that guy that guy's gonna be good he came out and just did like w- with the uh, light heavyweights and I'm like show's over like I don't I don't even need to see heavies or super heavyweights like he's so <laughs> right. far bombed everyone because he was peeled out of his mind that's so cool that's so cool yeah. Well, listen, everybody who's watching, we are going to continue on the show. But I have to close this out because we're creating two segments for the YouTube and the uh, the audio, all that. All right, guys. Well, we got to wrap this thing up. Um, go to Nasty Nate Spear on YouTube. Check out all of Nate's stuff. And uh, reach out to Nate for some coaching because he's coaching now. It's his full-time deal, as an IFBB pro should be. I'm uh, it's, I'm happy to have seen you made this evolution man not only to like turning pro but like fully in the bodybuilding world like i like it i like it it's been cool <laughs> to watch you man we we had you on uh skip and i did like yeah just a few few years back well, man hey and, I, I don't want to take credit but i actually i feel like i'm like sort of the segue into you and andrew linking up just saying <laughs> that, yeah, maybe that's kind of true isn't be. it that's kind of true yeah. i didn't even think about what has become you're welcome <laughs> you guys can go over to speaking of which bodyberry.com reach out to andrew over there for some coaching go to teamskip.com just give skip some shit and uh reach out to me mcnally diets at gmail.com check out our awesome sponsors true nutrition.com use our code think i mentioned amino asylum code think and check out supplementsource.ca if you're in canada get some blowout deals 49 dollars gets you free shipping guys for another episode of blood sweat and gear we'll see you soon